another edition of the Stereotopical Podcast. This is a bit of an emergency edition based upon current events that are happening right now. My name is Ian Collins. Joining me as always is my co-host, Mr. Drew Linton. Hi, everyone. So this episode, we will be discussing the coronavirus, also known as COVID-19, and is being referred to as the Wuhan coronavirus as well. Uh, this, obviously, anyone who's listening to this would should be aware of that this is existing because it's wall-to-wall covering the news. It's canceled pretty much every event, over 200 people. Uh, it's closing a lot of businesses. Uh, it's greatly affected countries like China, Iran, Italy. Uh, it's looking like it's really greatly affecting... Uh, It's going to start affecting Germany and the United Kingdom shortly. Uh, South Korea has also been affected, and Washington State has been the hardest hit in the United States. Uh, And the start of this, and uh, please correct me if I'm missing anything, Drew, it is suspected that the start of this virus uh, originated in in Wuhan uh, at a... I think it's called a wet market, where people were frequently eating wildlife, uh, local wildlife, and this virus is believed to have originated in a bat, in bats, and has animal connectors that allow it to infect six other animals, one of those, uh, six total animals, one of those including bats, another including uh, humans, and it appears to have transferred two humans from a local cuisine that was a bat soup, which has then spread throughout the Wuhan area, and then proceeded to places like Japan, South Korea, and the other locations mentioned, and has started to really hit the United States at this point. Sure, yeah. The only thing I'm not sure of is uh, whether the transmission has actually occurred through uh, eating any of that well, any of those uh, forms of wildlife that were being traded in the market. Uh, however, I think it's pretty well accepted that there was some transmission at least from uh, the wildlife to the humans. Uh, there are there is some fringe evidence that maybe the uh, virus was not uh, originally transmitted inside the market. However, it appears. Um, there was significant transmission inside the market, even if it wasn't the uh, very first contact point of the virus with humans. But that was the, the only caveat I have. Yep. And so, uh, Drew, is there any particular aspect of COVID-19 that you wanted to start on? Did you want to start with sort of a description of what the virus is doing, uh, how it's spreading, uh, our responses to it, anything in particular you think we should start with? Sure. Yeah. So the first thing really for me is to, to come out and say, look, we are not public health uh, officials. You know, we just think it's important to take a deep dive into this. There's a lot of misinformation, a lot of confusion, a lot of panic. Um, you know, we're just going to try to help dissect a complicated and rapidly evolving situation. Um, try to help sort out fact from fiction or, uh, you know, help 
help mention that some things are still unknown at this time. And, you know, for official information, I would definitely uh, want to point you towards the CDC uh, website and the CDC's guidance or to, to uh, pay close attention to the guidance of your local authorities uh, to help minimize the, the spread and health impact um, of this disease. Um, additionally, um, you know, I wanted to come out and state my motivation uh, for recording this. Um, and it was more to just help inform the public, you know, have a productive conversation uh, about the virus. I uh, am quite disappointed that this uh, virus and the response has been so politicized by um, pretty much every party involved, you know, especially here in the U.S. Um, regarding the response uh, to the, the virus, I think. But there, there definitely may be some critique warranted, uh, but the fact of the matter is that we're dealing with a highly chaotic system that is changing um, almost every day. There are, uh, you know, a lot of variables that go into uh, how severe the spread of this virus uh, may be. Um, we won't really know the impact of, of policies until weeks or even months uh, into you know, after a decision is made. So, um, you know, more than anything, I think uh, I will frame critique more as high level, uh, more as thought provoking questions, or maybe a high level analysis on my thoughts of some of the reaction um, to the virus by uh, politicians or by countries. So I definitely don't want to make this a political uh, issue because I don't think uh, I think if there's one thing that can unite people, it's, um, you know, a, a global issue like uh, a pandemic. So that with that caveat, I'll turn it back over to you, Ian. Okay, so I am going to, I think that that's well said. I am going to start by sort of describing what the effects of COVID-19 are. Uh, the most noteworthy thing and the reason why people are especially concerned about it and the reason why it has been declared by the WHO, the World Health Organization, as an official pandemic is because of the transmissibility of it. Uh, it has a incubation period that can be as long as 14 days. Uh, the average incubation period is about 5.1 days, which suggests that you can uh, have the virus and transmit it for five days, it would be up to 14 days before you have it, but uh, most frequently is five days before you show any symptoms. You can transmit it to other people, which is two and a half times that of the flu, uh, which is why people are especially concerned about it, as well as the fact that since this is a new virus, there is no built-in sort of immunity that people have with the flu, uh, which is something that is especially concerning. It is typically affecting the upper respiratory system. Uh, that's what, and the symptoms, most common symptoms are a cough, uh, a runny nose, a fever, and shortness of breath. And those, uh, shortness of breath is most common with more severe cases. And it's something that the, if it's in the very severe cases, it can, transfer over to actual cardiac incidents. I'm not a medical expert, so I don't, I'm not fully familiar with the actual type of cardiac uh, 
effects that it has, but it's obviously not good. That's usually the fatal aspect of it is uh, the cardiac uh, aspect as I can see it. And so the the big concern for this also, in, on top of the transmissibility, is the fact that it has an increased uh, mortality rate from what we can see. And granted, that is something that because we don't know the actual denominator, we don't know how many total cases there are, how many mild cases there are, uh, we can't be certain of what the actual effects, what the actual mortality rate is, but it appears that it is uh, apparently anywhere from half a percent upwards of, I believe, 6% in yeah. the worst case scenario, which appears to be uh, the Wuhan province and then also in uh, in Italy. Yeah, and Ian, if you if you don't mind, I'll just jump in to, to help elaborate on uh, that issue. So, um, you know, there's a, with the actual death rate of this uh, virus, there's quite a bit of uncertainty because, uh, you know, what Ian was alluding to is, it, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, not everyone who has the coronavirus is uh, being tested or reporting that they have the virus, but uh, most people who are severely impacted or even uh, having a case which results in death are probably reporting, uh, you know, going to a hospital and it being officially documented. So, um, I believe what you're saying is that it's that there are probably a lot more cases than are being reported and therefore that skews the death rate uh, upwards. Yes. It is also worth noting that some there is uh, it's not confirmed but there are beliefs that uh, there could be the coronavirus could have been here for even longer than we uh, believe it first when it first entered the United States. Uh, because it has so many similar symptoms to that of the flu, it's very possible that many people who are believed to have had the flu, uh, who didn't need serious care, could have had the coronavirus in January or early February. It's also possible that people who did have critical cases, but it wasn't known that the coronavirus had made it to the United States, could have been diagnosed with the flu at hospitals. And so that could have been an effect. And so that's why it, it's really difficult to tell uh, what could have caused. So that actually could, in some of those cases where flu-related illnesses could have been the cause of s critical cases, that could actually increase the rate. And so that's why it's, it's very difficult to sort of gather this sort of this data as it's developing. Uh, but as of right now, there's been over 80,000 cases in China, over 20,000 cases in Italy and South Korea. And as of now, uh, according to the New York Times, I believe it says that the total reported is 3,453 people uh, in 49 states plus Washington, D.C. and two U.S. territories. And there have been 62 patients that have died from the virus. Once again, though, this is skewed because one of the earliest areas to be hit was in the uh, Washington area. And it hit an elderly nursing home, which accounts for 27 of the deaths. 
and that makes sense because the it, for some reason that we're still not fully aware of the uh, higher age range so people over the age of 60 are at a much higher risk of uh, critical cases than those un, uh, of younger ages whereas with the flu it's people of very young ages and very old ages that are affected it's just on the older end of the spectrum uh, which has led to which is one of the reasons why people suspect Italy has been so hard hit, hit has been hit so hard is because they have one of the oldest average age populations in the in the world and i believe that the average age of the death of the dead in Italy is 81 last time i checked so that would that would explain why they have such a high mortality rate but it is also worth noting that France reported that a lot of its it's critical cases in France and the country uh, are actually it's half of the people with critical conditions are under the age of 50 in France, uh, but they are still at a, a at a lower point uh, at an early point in the spread. So we're not once again these are very temporary data sets, and so they will be developing and we'll learn more as it spreads. And I think that that is there anything else that you wanted to provide that's more just a factual layout of what is happening and what has happened in terms of the spread of the disease and its effects? Sure, sure. So um, mainly the, the things I'd like to add is uh, the the fact that uh, compared to the so so. There's a, a measurement called the R naught, which is an estimate of how many other people a sick person will infect, um, and I believe with the flu, with the flu, it's around one and a half or one point eight people. With the coronavirus, it is uh, significantly higher, somewhere between two to three point one uh, as the R naught. So uh, that indicates that this virus is uh, somewhat uh, more infectious than uh, the flu, uh, more contagious than the flu. Uh, additionally, I would kind of just like to lay out a quick, quickish timeline of uh, the coronavirus so that we understand, you know, when we're talking about response and public opinion and all these things uh, to make sure uh, the listeners have an appropriate uh, kind of timeline for, for, you know, how long we've had to react to this. So, um, December 31st, 2019, uh, Chinese authorities were treating dozens of cases of pneumonia of unknown cause. So, uh, you know, there's a, a blip that they noticed, uh, a, a higher, um, higher occurrence of pneumonia, uh, on January 11th, China reported its first death, um, on, I believe it's January 7th. I find it. Yeah, January 7th, officials uh, actually announced they'd identified a new virus, uh, according to the WHO. Um, that's So they named the, the coronavirus 2019 in COV, uh, which eventually became uh, known as COVID-19. Um, 
January 20th, uh, other countries, including the United States, uh, confirmed cases. So uh, there was clear proof that the virus was spreading. Um, January 23rd, uh, Wuhan, China was uh, essentially quarantined by the Chinese uh, government. Uh, they canceled planes and trains leaving the cities. Um, they went on to put over 700 million in China, uh, people in China into quarantine, uh, where they were uh, essentially uh, on house arrest, uh, even uh, with more dramatic draconian um, implementation. I, I think China actually had um, armed guards helping enforce uh, this quarantine. Uh, January 30th, the WHO declared a global health emergency. Uh, January 31st, the Trump administration restricted travel from China. Uh, you know, just a caveat there, uh, that included suspending entry into the United States by any foreign nationals who had traveled to China in the past 14 days. That excluded immediate family members of American citizens. Uh, February 2nd, the first coronavirus death was reported outside of China, and that death uh, occurred in the Philippines. Uh, February 5th, a cruise ship in Japan quarantined thousands. Uh, I believe that was the Diamond Princess cruise ship uh, where... I believe you're uh, correct. I believe it was over 400 of the 3,600 passengers uh, actually contracted the coronavirus. So I, I think it got uh, up to 700-some. Okay, so even higher. Um, you know, that, that was, a, I think, a really significant indicator to the public that uh, this was, you know, an extremely contagious disease. We didn't have, or virus, we didn't quite have a, uh, a handle on it. Um, so I think that was kind of a shock to the public. Uh, um, February 10th, the death toll in China surpassed the number of SARS uh, deaths worldwide. Um, so it eclipsed the 908 uh, death mark, uh, and that was another eye-opening thing, seeing as how SARS was uh, a global panic in, in its own time uh, back in the early 2000s. Um, and then it just continued to go, you know, there's throughout February, uh, more quarantines, more um, cases reported throughout Europe. Um February 21st, the virus appeared in Iran, uh, who has also been greatly affected. Uh, February 24th, Trump administration asked Congress for $1.25 billion for coronavirus response. Um, and, you know, just more, more cases reported, more cases reported. Uh, March 3rd, U.S. officials approved widespread coronavirus testing, so there's some criticism that... Uh, testing has not been uh, available uh, or deployed at large scale here in the U.S. Um, March 11th, President Trump blocks most visitors from continental Europe. That travel ban continues to expand even uh, today. And March 13th, President Trump declares a national emergency. So that's a rough timeline of what we've been dealing with uh, to this point. So um just wanted to to kind of leave it there. I think that kind of introduces uh, and lays the land of uh, our discussion pretty well. Uh, I know that was a bit long-winded, but I figured it was relevant. 
I, I think it's important to lay down what we what the information we have as of now. We're recording this as of March fifteenth, and we're going to try and get this out uh, before the end of this week. Hopefully, the information won't be too um, too out of date by the time it's actually released. But the 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 big thing now, I think we should talk about is how people are responding uh, and ter- and how governments are responding because the way that people have responded, the South Korean government decided to basically do widespread testing. They started testing 10,000, they were testing 10,000 people a day and they shut down schools. They went, as soon as they found out it had spread there, they shut everything down and they appear to have really flattened the curve. And when people say that, by the way, that's a common buzzword. Flatten the curve means to flatten the rate of infection that is occurring. And so when you're flattening the curve, you're essentially just making it so that fewer people are being infected each day. And whereas Italy uh, held off and allowed people to sort of go about their business... And now it's at the point where they're in a total self, they're in a total nationwide quarantine, excluding uh, critical workers, to the point that people are being asked to stay in their homes unless they're going, doing essential like going to a pharmacy or going to a grocery store, things of that nature, or if they're doing things associated with the governmental response. Uh, and there's widespread ideas of how people should respond but the one that uh i'd like to throw out right now is the individual response and it's been highly suggested that people uh wash their hands regularly with soap and warm water because that just kills germs uh i'm not sure uh if the not touching your face thing is still believed to be helpful but it's it's been recommended that people avoid uh, touching their face if at all possible. And then also social distancing has been a big thing in the last few days and uh, last week or so, which is basically just saying isolating yourself, trying to keep at least three, uh, at least a meter uh, weight, uh, meter distance between yourself and anyone else, uh, just so that you can avoid the spread if at all possible. The big concern that I have is that people, the response that people have had has been either to not take it seriously at all and think that it's basically a joke or to completely panic outright. Like just massive clearing the shelves off of stores at the grocery store, making it basically treating this like it's the apocalypse. And frankly, neither response seems helpful or effective. And I'm not actually sure, I, obvi- I think the people who are taking it the least seriously are probably the most harmful, because they are, and it's, it's admittedly very frequently uh, a problem, apparently, with the people who just don't believe, don't trust the news for various reasons, so a lot of that is the older populations, and that's very concerning, because as we discussed earlier, it's they are the most vulnerable to the effects of the coronavirus, but also to the to the younger generations because they aren't as widely affected by the coronavirus. 
And it's there's been multiple stories just in the last few days about how people are still uh, because it's Saint the weekend that people would be celebrating Saint Patrick's Day. They're still packing into bars, nightclubs, restaurants, uh, events that may still be going on. And frankly, the the idea of going to a bar during a while a pandemic is currently in the like early stages is in my opinion and I don't mean to be uh especially harsh on this but you're being an asshole at that point because you're being selfish and with the point that you are clearly you are clearly not the person at risk and so you're not taking the well-being of others into account because what ends up happening is you could uh infect someone else who isn't clearly at risk but and that's not a huge problem but then they could infect a person who could then infect a vulnerable person without even knowing it and so that's the sort of the way that the disease spreads or that any disease spreads is something that people should be aware of and they and a lot of the people who seem to be swarming into these large areas of where people are just packed shoulder to shoulder, packed in like sardines. You're basically bound, whenever there's groups of more than 200 or so people at any event, it's basically guaranteed that at least 50 or so people are going to get infected uh, just because of the close quarters and the ability of like the way that just it can stay in the air for up to two hours after someone has has left that was infected and so the idea that people are basically going to these crowded bars and drinking like they just got days off and completely ignoring the social distancing thing is kind of mind-boggling to me yeah yeah so um from what i've read uh and researched it appears that it's primarily uh born out of um I guess, uh, respiratory, uh, fluids. So it's not really a, an airborne, uh, transmitted disease. Uh, it's more born out of, uh, maybe someone, uh, sneezes and then, uh, a few minutes later they shake someone's hand. That person then, uh, puts their hand to their face. Uh, so that's one common way it's, uh, the virus is contracted. Um, you know, maybe someone in a bar sneezes, uh, at that point, um, the, the virus could be suspended in air for some period of time and many people would be exposed. So, uh, one important element is certainly the social distancing. And I think people do, uh, people would be right to take that on board. Um, it's, it's one of those things. Yes. Uh, generally, uh, it appears that uh, the younger or middle-aged population is not um, affected as severely by the, the COVID-19, but, um, you know, it's just smart to, to try to remove yourself as a link uh, of the chain when possible. You know, you don't want to be uh, connected to a chain of um, transmission events that eventually leads to the death of uh, you know, an, a more elderly person or someone who is immuno, immunocompromised. 
so I, I think this is it's smart that we do what's right and and try to take care of one another uh, through this uh, pandemic and you know I, th I think that we shouldn't really be panicking but we should be taking it seriously and, and I think there's a distinct difference there yes I th uh, that is that is and, an important that is a distinction with a difference and I just wanted to agree with you I just wanted to emphasize what you just said that that is without question there's no need to panic but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't treat this with uh, total with a clear amount of serious a serious approach and taking precautions sorry I, I just wanted to emphasize what you were saying go continue with what you were going no, to no no it it's good yeah I, I was wrapping up I just wanted to mention um, and reiterate kind of what I was saying in the beginning, which is uh, there are a few uh, good resources to, to follow and get trustworthy information. Um, and I would specifically try to avoid politicians. And I would also kind of try to avoid um, biased media sources. So that would be your cable news. Um, that would be a lot of the major newspapers who are often agenda driven and have political objectives but the cdc is putting out uh generally good information and there's also uh a source i, I believe it's called StatMed, uh and that's one of the premier uh, kind of medical sources for medical news and it puts out a lot of good content so um i would i would you know just urge you to kind of uh pay attention to what is what official information is coming out and heed the advice of, um, you know, local officials particularly. Yeah, the and that's one of the important things is that it's very important in a time like this to focus on what experts are telling you. And by expert, I'm by experts, I don't mean the random pundit that's going to go on CNN or Fox News and tell you about it or write an op-ed in the New York Times or Wall Street Journal. It's something like if you see information coming from an epidemiologist or a, a, a doctor of infectious diseases, uh, then that's so, the sort of information that seems more reliable than if you were to just watch the typical uh, Tucker Carlson or Don Lemon or whoever else it is that's reporting on this. Yeah, uh, I would just like to correct one of my earlier statements, by the way. I believe it's statnews.com, not statmed. So, okay, uh, just to to wipe my hands of that. That's uh, make sure that you you wash them for twenty seconds. Sing <laughs> sing happy birthday twice before you wipe your hands yeah. of it. Uh, Absolutely. But the and the just I wanted to focus now that we've sort of talked about the people that are kind of ignoring it and how they're sort of creating a threat for others, even if it doesn't affect themselves. The people who are panic buying and basically hunkering down like this is the this is the apocalypse are not doing themselves or their communities any favor. One, the shelves are not going to be emptied like this is a blizzard or a tornado or a hurricane. This that is not what this is. Essential like supplies will still be produced and will still be sent out by all available resources. And so people who are going to the local supermarkets and clearing out all the canned goods, all the paper towels, all the t toilet paper, all the hand soap, all the hand sanitizer, 
are one, they're being, uh, they're panic buying, which induces further panic when people show up to the grocery store and nothing's available to buy. That induces a, a feeling of panic in others. But two, it's not necessary, and so you're stockpiling things that aren't that you don't need to, and uh, costing yourself and your family in that sense. There's also the fact that three other people need these supplies as well, and so because they are still expected to be re uh, resupplied, you don't need the fortieth package of diapers. But another family who comes in and didn't resupply right before the pandemic started will be just up the creek because they came in and now their baby doesn't have any diapers in their size because someone decided to be selfish and buy the last 12, the last 12 packs of diapers. And, or the last 10 rolls of toilet papers or, or 10, things like that. And it's, it's, yeah, I would I would definitely agree um, on on those points. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. Continue. Oh, I was just going to say also the the final point I have is that it's it's amazing to me that people don't realize that maybe just maybe you would want the other people in your community to be able to have clean hands, and so buying the <laughs> buying all the hand sanitizer or all of the uh, hand soap is not necessarily helpful for you and it actually might be a hindrance to your community as a whole because now instead of if you go in and buy 10 things of soap when you're only going to use one of them in the next week or two then what you've done instead of making it so that you are 10 times safer you're just as safe now as you would have been but you've made it so that 10 other families or in, or nine other families or individuals do not have the soap that they would need to keep their hands clean and therefore have increased the likelihood of spreading the disease. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with all those points. I think, uh, it's important to not be, um, selfish at this time. Uh, again, I think one of the most important things we can do is, is come together as communities and help one another, especially the, um, the demographics who are at lower risk. Uh, I think it's important that at this time, uh, you know, as always, we kind of pick up the slack because there are high risk individuals out there who are going to need help. Uh, they're going to need supplies. They're going to need food. Um, they may need additional care. And I think we really need to uh, be sensitive to that. I, I think it's important that we come together and take care of one another uh, through all of this and buying 20, uh, you know, 20 bulk packages of toilet paper is not how you take care of your community. Um, however, on a brighter side here, I, I would like to commend on large part um, the actions of private institutions. I, I, we haven't really gotten into the government response yet, um, but I've been really impressed with how private institutions are um, responding to this. A lot of companies are moving to more remote work when possible. Um, they're uh, supporting employees who may need to, um, you know, be at home more frequently to care for their children. You know, if, if schools are canceled, um, 
And one thing that's kind of gone under the radar is that local businesses are going to be impacted pretty severely by this um, in certain areas. So, uh, for example, I live in a, a large college town, Morgantown, West Virginia, and uh, the university has um, moved to remote classes. A lot of students have uh, moved out of Morgantown, moved back home for, uh, you know, the, the um, intermediate term, I guess, while everything is getting figured out. And this is going to really impact the restaurants and shops in town. So um, I've seen many uh, larger corporations, um, notably I saw Mark Cuban doing this, uh, they're offering to reimburse employees for expenses uh, like, like lunches or dinners um, wh where they're spending money at locally owned businesses as opposed to uh, chains or even cooking from home. So I, I don't know. I think that's a, a good gesture because, uh, you know, that's so important to the local community and local economy. And I think it's good uh, to support uh, those members of the community while we can as well. Yeah, and that's, that's a thing worth noting is that though it is good to keep that in mind, but it's, it's if at all possible, I would recommend getting takeout uh, because most restaurants will allow you to order a carryout as an option, and that, yeah, that allows you to be uh, still go into account with the social distancing while, not, while being able to support your uh, local businesses. Yeah, that's a that's a good caveat there. Um, another thing that that I failed to to mention was that I've seen a lot of these local businesses doing their part, uh, you know, providing uh, immediate access as you walk in to uh, hand sanitizer, uh, putting signs up uh, kind of all over the door and all over the entry, uh, you know, with little notices about the outbreak and informing their guests how you know how they can help. Uh, keep that workplace uh, safe for others and, and keep it sanitary. And I think that that is really good um, because, you know, if, if people who own local restaurants are, are going out of their way and taking the time to, um, you know, uh, make public health a priority, which they generally have to with uh, sanitary regulations anyways, but, but they're going above and beyond. And I, I think that that is, um, I've seen that from the, you know, the, the bottom end of small businesses and I've seen it from larger corporations, uh, doing their part too. So I've been generally pretty, um, impressed with how quickly the U S uh, private institutions have, uh, moved, um, you know, as, as far as taking care of their employees and taking care of public health. Yeah. And then there's the fact that, uh, they've also worked, I believe it was, CVS, Target, and Walmart have made steps to uh, have made steps to make drive-through uh, coronavirus testing available, which is something that is incredibly helpful because it's one of those things where it's especially helpful if you're aware that you have it because then you can take uh, the self-quarantining more seriously. And you can take the steps, and I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but it is important that if you do discover or believe that you have the coronavirus, in order to prevent an overflow and sort of a stress on the 
local hospitals or local health systems, it is good for you to try, if you're not someone who's in the uh, demographics, we mentioned the immunocompromised or the elderly people with pre-existing conditions, uh, then if you can just stay home and not go to the ER or the, or the hospital or the clinic, uh, then that would be better because, unless you ex start experiencing serious symptoms. Because, uh, one, if you don't know for sure, but go anyway, then there's a almost, it's almost a certainty that you will become infected if you are waiting with people all sitting there waiting because they believe that they have the coronavirus. Odds are that at least one person will have the coronavirus and may spread it to you. But also, they, the seriously ill people will need the beds in the hospitals and it's not necessary to start, uh, it's not, if you are a healthy individual that is m not having severe effects, then it's much better to uh, sort of deal with it on your own or at home with support of your family if possible. Yeah, yeah, well, al along uh, those lines, um, it is, I suppose, worth noting that um, while this strain of coronavirus seems to be unique, uh, coronaviruses as a strain of virus are uh, actually very common to humans. I, I believe it's over or, or around 25% of uh, common cold cases are actually attributed to some form of a coronavirus. So a lot of the, a lot of the symptoms um, and recovery will be uh, similar to what you experience during, um, you know, a, just a common cold or a flu. Now, that is not to say that this is the same as the flu or the common cold. I'm just drawing the 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 parallels that many cases uh, will be experienced. You know, you'll, there will be a similar experience as if uh, you had one of those other illnesses. And do you want to go into uh, detail on how the you had comments on the the reporting of the disease and the spread of it up to this point and the response? Sure, sure. So uh, I know I've already mentioned you know uh, where I believe uh, reliable information can be found on this and um, how I'm disappointed at how politicized this has has been. Uh, but what you will see is um, hyper-politicization of uh, the coronavirus and especially the federal response to the coronavirus. Um, so just to give you an example of how uh, hypocritical and disappointing this is, um, I'm just going to show you uh, another kind of instance of clickbait reporting and, and, and why I believe uh, the mainstream media has lost credibility on yet another issue when it comes uh, to the, the coronavirus. So, um, I'll just give three quick examples, um, from, uh, news outlets that are, are typically, uh, considered more left-leaning. Um, so Vox on February 13th, uh, had a, published an article called No Handshakes, Please. The tech industry is terrified of the coronavirus. Although public officials in the area say the virus is contained for now, that hasn't stopped the tech industry from worrying. Uh, the tone of that article is generally um, 
you know condescending yes condescending it was it was meant to get one over on the tech industry which uh you know for whatever reason there are incentives to to do that uh Another from the Washington Post Health section, uh, February 1st, article called Get a Grip, America. The flu is a much bigger threat than the coronavirus for now. Um, Okay. Uh, BuzzFeed News, science section, uh, January 23rd, 2020. Article titled, Don't worry about the coronavirus, worry about the flu. So these are are three left-leaning publications that are now publishing pretty much nonstop information about how to take the coronavirus seriously, how to respond. Um, they are um, heavily criticizing the federal government for its response, uh, which may or may not be warranted. I'm, I'm not necessarily getting into that. Um, I'm just saying that um, these organizations who are, who are very trusted by uh, the general public um, have once again uh, let us down because um, when it comes to a pandemic, it's really important to, to have proper information in advance. And as you can see, these um, publications, along with many others, got it so wrong for so long. And um, I think that's one reason that that um, it's more important to, to find sources where there are experts in a field actually writing and publishing information um, as opposed to to taking your advice from uh, people who are writing clickbait headlines. Uh, So that's been really disappointing to me. I know that was a a bit strong, but um, I did just want to mention that. Um, There have also been several instances uh, where um, politicians on both sides have said things that are not exactly correct with respect to the coronavirus, whether they're downplaying a situation or criticizing uh, one another um, to gain political points. There's a lot of that going on. Uh, And again, that's why I am advising people to find um, more scientific sources for their information um, when it comes to this pandemic. And if I could just expand, I, I think that that last piece of advice is definitely a good piece of advice. But if I could expand on the point you were making at large, uh, it's also worth noting that a lot of the steps that have been taken, which were generally steps that you would suggest in the case of a pandemic, have been widely criticized as xenophobic and... Uh, racist towards those of Asian descent, such as the cutting off of travel from China that you mentioned in the state and the sort of timeline earlier. That was widely criticized as being xenophobic and an extreme position back in January. Uh, but right, it's actually been estimated that that gave the United States an additional month of preparation before it uh, spread more widely here. Then there's been discussions of criticizing people for referring it to uh, referring to COVID nineteen as the Wuhan virus uh, because they are saying that it is racist to refer to it as such, despite the fact that that is where the first reported case originated, uh, to our knowledge. 
and the fact that there are many places or many diseases named after uh, locations such as the Spanish flu, Ebola, Lyme disease, uh, so forth. And so the that's more of just more criticisms and sort of creating a sort of division that is not really pointed or necessary. And it is worth noting that, like you said with the politicians, they never seem to allow a, a crisis to go to waste. And so in a recent bill that was passed in the House, I'm not sure what the current progress in the Senate is. I don't believe that the Senate will reconvene until tomorrow morning. But uh, there included provisions for sick to require businesses to allow sick leave for domestic violence victims, which I'm not going to make a statement one way or the other on that particular uh, aspect or that that sort of bill to go forward. But the idea that that has anything to do with a coronavirus bill is ludicrous in my estimations. Uh, so you're alluding to the fact that, um, you know, maybe they should be focusing on bills that are addressing the current pandemic. Yes. Instead of taking bills that are meant to assist the public, uh, in this time of panic and sort of stress and need, people are inserting aspects to bills that, uh, that really politicize the nature of them, which is actually, uh, and that was something that was done by the Democratic Party, and it's been accused that the Republican Party has also included into that bill an exclusion for companies with over 500 employees, which would then render it mostly irrelevant but especially, it would essentially make it so that the stresses of this decision, of this bill, would really just lay the hammer down even further on smaller businesses. And granted, a five a five hundred person a five hundred person business is not small by any means, but it is more likely to be a a locally owned area that is more heavily affected, uh, locally owned business that is more likely to be heavily affected by this virus and by this economic uh, change in consumer behavior. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely agree, and I think you've um, definitely made a good case that that politicians are being, and again, um, I'm not going to uh, make pointed criticisms at individual politicians or parties because I do genuinely uh, believe that this is being politicized heavily by um, both members of both parties uh, in the legislative branch as well as uh, the uh, current presidential administration. So um, I, I just don't think that we should be politicizing things like this. I think that we should be rooting for uh, one another and and, and hoping that uh, the decisions that are made are are the right ones um, instead of trying to get get one over on the uh, other political party. Um, I would like to just make a comment on the travel restrictions that you uh, discussed. Yes. Um, so I do agree that they're generally a good move for delaying the spread. Um, so you know depending on implementation and depending on the nature of the virus, uh, 
travel restrictions, especially at, at airports, are not particularly effective at fighting the virus as far as keeping it out of a, a uh, region or country. However, they are generally a good move for delaying the spread. Uh, you know, even if you're just delaying the spread by a uh, few weeks or uh, months, I think you mentioned that it was estimated that the China travel uh, restriction was uh, probably bought the U.S. another month or so. I, I think those are, are um, reasonable, measured um, policy decisions to make. Um, you know, if it helps buy some time to uh, set better uh, infrastructure to handle uh, the shock that our healthcare system um, is likely to face, uh, I think it's good. Uh, also, um, with us, with, with the U.S., um, blocking visitors from most of continental Europe uh, a couple of days ago. I think those are reasonable moves um, because, you know, I, I compare it to, to a leak, right? If the virus is already in the country, it's, it's like, okay, I had a pipe burst in the bathroom, you know, it's leaking. Um, if I can shut off that valve and stop the leak from getting worse, that's a reasonable step to make. That doesn't mean it fixes the problem or addresses it altogether, but it is a reasonable decision to make. And you're starting to see uh, that happen even in the European Union now. Um, Italy has been, because in Europe there's a lot of, uh, um, it's more open borders, open uh, movement of, of people from one country or one region to another. And you're starting to see a bit more restriction even inside the EU. Inside the EU, I think Germany uh, made the decision to restrict travel today. Uh, Poland and a couple of other countries have have done the same, um, and I think that's natural. And I think it, it's probably the right move for protecting the uh, the native population. Yeah, and, and, oh. and that sorry. Additionally, that doesn't mean countries should not be helping one another. It's you know the the United States has has already spent immense resources uh, with uh, intellectual uh, firepower, uh, sending experts, um, you know, abroad, um, giving them access, giving other countries access to our uh, tools to to help combat the coronavirus. But at the same time, governments are elected, uh, you know by the people of a certain country. So they should do as the, the, um, they should do what's in the best interest of their electorate, you know? So I think that, that there needs to be a distinction between, okay, is this being, uh, xenophobic or is this the reasonable thing to do, you know, given the certain, given the nature of a pandemic? Yes. And, uh, I will say that there, I'd like to return to, there was one criticism I wanted to make for the coverage of this before proceeding to another criticism I have for uh, the response. The coverage of this that has seemed to basically be an active attempt to, to spread the Chinese narrative that this was actually a U.S. conspiracy concocted by the U.S. Army 
has been very has been incredibly shameful that the United States media apparatus, the corporate press, has essentially taken steps to like spread this propaganda from the from the Chinese uh, foreign minister and without providing nearly enough criticism considering all of the data we have as of now indicates that it started and spread from and the epicenter was from Wuhan China and so yeah yeah so uh as you continue with that point i i i think it would be good if if maybe we uh hone in on um what's going on with china and how this may affect um you know the uh orientation of the global economy towards china because um you know there are some things that have happened with this uh pandemic now that uh do not it shows some clear disalignment between uh china and the uh i guess expected behavior by the rest of the world um you know there's there's significant uh evidence that that china has not been exactly was was not exactly forthright uh with their reporting of the the coronavirus um i think uh De- december 1st was really their first recognized uh case inside of china but it appears that even throughout january uh the chinese government uh knew more than they were letting on um and again the when you're dealing with something that's growing exponentially uh, like a virus the time to take care of it is at the very beginning so those first few days and first few weeks are so crucial and I don't think we can be, I mean, I'm certainly not convinced, and I know many others, based on the reporting going on, I know many others are not convinced that China was uh, totally forthright with the information coming out. Um, well, I don't think, know, I don't think there's the any dispute that they weren't forthright. They actively silenced multiple doctors that were blowing the, that were attempting to blow the whistle, and uh, one has sort of become a martyr who... Uh, tried to blow the whistle sort of mid to late December and actually died uh, the second week of February, six weeks after he Doc- tried. Dr. Lee Winliang. Yes, Dr. Lee. And that he has sort of become the, the symbol for the concern that is associated with China responding. Because had China treated this with the seriousness that he suggested it should be treated, then... Everyone in the world and the global community would be better prepared for the situation. They'd be more informed and would have been better prepared to respond. There would have been a better prevention of the spread of the disease. And then the idea that China has responded effectively to this is ludicrous. Because the way that they responded was essentially to create mass graves for people who had been uh, who had died of it and to there are videos of chinese officials or chinese military personnel welding individuals into their own into buildings 
and one such building actually collapsed, killing a couple dozen people. And then there's the idea that there was a story that came out that they're using the Uyghur Muslim population, which has been uh, gathered in sort of those re-education centers in Western China, and they're being basically used as slave labor by being transferred to make sure that the factories are still running and providing the same output as needed for the supply lines. And so it's it seems very strange to me that people are so quick to commend China when had they taken the proper steps and basically bit the bullet and uh, not been afraid of the shame associated with being the country that a pandemic started in. Had they sort of owned up and given a proper warning and not wanted the embarrassment for the party, then this would not be nearly as great of a problem as it is. Which is not... Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I was... Just to interject. Just to interject. So I want to mention that there's not particularly any embarrassment with a pandemic starting a given country because there can be any number of reasons that happens. I I just want to... give that yeah and so that uh, what i wanted to say to that uh following the discussion of how china responded and how it was basically pitiful and then they then responded by taking the totalitarian approach of just completely shutting down travel altogether uh because they have the ability to do that in a in a essentially a communist dictatorship that they have it is not to say that the united states is Uh, response has been perfect because I have some criticisms one the it is worth knowing that we we did not treat it we we did not treat it with the seriousness it deserved and sort of trying to downplay it and comparing it to the flu like those articles that you mentioned uh, was done publicly by government officials as as recently as the last week of February and that's that is not a great sign and then there's also the availability of testing is probably the biggest concern with the governmental response. Because yes, I, I would agree with that. Because it's at one point the Utah Jazz tested 58 employees and players, which accounted for just under 1% of all tests. A, an NBA team should not account for 10 for 1% of all tests that have been provided for two reasons one if that's the case and an NBA player has been di- and multiple NBA players have been diagnosed it has been far too widespread at that point to have only 7000 tests administered at that point but two why is it that an NBA franchise has greater access to this than the people, than the average citizen in an afflicted area like in Seattle, Washington, or in New York City, which are the two highest uh, highest number of cases in the United States. Why is it that they have a greater access to it than the people in West Virginia who only had, I believe, there was like maybe a dozen tests before this weekend? It is very concerning how the tests have been distributed, but also the sheer lack of volume of the tests. Yeah, yeah, no, I would, um, I would totally, totally agree with that. Um, 
I wanted to to come back to the Dr. Lee example just to um, maybe help the listeners better understand what actually happened there because I think this is there may be it, it may help uh, people understand that had a similar situation happened in America, I think people will understand that it would have been taken more seriously um, in America than it was in China. So uh, December 31st, Dr. Lee was working in a hospital who was treating some of the patients who um, had, you know, this, no, these pneumonia-like symptoms. Um, and, and so basically he alerted his colleagues with some of the characteristics of these cases via their uh, messaging platform called WeChat. Uh, so he mentioned that there was a coronavirus strain uh, which was being subtyped and urged his friends to inform their families to take protective measures. So obviously he knew uh, that something potentially um, devastating was going on. He, he understood this wasn't normal, right? So he blew the whistle on it to a few of his friends. Uh, his messages actually went viral on the internet. And by January 3rd, uh, they were... Um, the Wuhan police censured him for making false comments on the internet. So they um, kind of accused him of fear-mongering and spreading uh, misinformation about uh, this illness. And that was on January 3rd. Um, Dr. Lee then uh, returned to work and uh, contracted the virus around January 7th uh, while treating patients, uh, you know, the same patients that he was warning um his friends and colleagues about, and uh, a month later, he, he passed away. So, um, you know, maybe in America, something like this happens. Um, it's amplified by the internet and uh, could actually be picked up by government officials and would probably be looked into instead of uh, publicly forcing this individual to censure himself and, um, quote-unquote, admit that he was making false statements. Um, so that's, you know, just one small example of what was going on in China. There's also internal documents that suggest uh, um, Chairman Xi uh, under, knew more than he was letting on about um, the coronavirus. But I'll digress there because, um, you know, it, it's less, I guess, well-established information. Um, I think it's been less well-covered. So, um, I mean, there's there's a lot there to be concerned about. Yes, and that's, that's something worth noting, is that the Chinese response to this at the beginning, uh, like you said, the initial response is the most important, and it's, it's failure to respond in an appropriate way and it's they let the world down. Yeah, and they it's let the world down and, their initial response. And they're clearly trying to sort of make up for it by sending their medical experts to other uh, countries to assist with this. But that, while that is admirable and it's good that they're doing that, the fact is that had they taken the proper steps early on, that may not even be necessary at this point. And that's something that can't be understated, that can't be overstated. Yeah, and the Chinese response, I, I, I do want to say that I think what we 
the positives you can take from the Chinese response are, okay, they showed that um, quarantining and social distancing and flattening the curve, you know, those techniques are probably the best way to fight this. So they gave a blueprint once the virus had, had spread um, kind of irreversibly. Uh, and, and I mean, that, yes, you can take some positive from that, but they let the world down with their initial response um, by suppressing information. Um, and, and that's really, really concerning. Um, I think we've got to be able to, to level criticism at, at China, uh, in this instance. And I, I hope that isn't lost, um, as the situation evolves, you know, I, I would like to see, um, that addressed with China at some point, because that's, it's not acceptable. Um, because the fact of the matter is, thousands maybe hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of people will die and i'm not saying it would have been prevented but there's there's a possibility that had it been better handled initially um had there not been clear uh information suppression uh the world would have had at least a better chance uh, of saving these people who who are likely to um pass away and that's i i don't want that point to get lost as as we move forward, because that's it's very important that we understand uh, exactly the dynamic and the risks we take by uh, interacting so much with, um, you know, parts of the world that are uh, don't necessarily have aligned incentives with uh, the rest of the Western world. Yeah, and I think that that's that's a good a good way to wrap up the summary of China and their response. Uh, I did want to share one more criticism of the United States response and just the fact that the the stories I saw about the CDC and other health organizations other health regulatory agencies in the United States and their inadequacy in allow the amount of red tape and bureaucracy that was preventing labs research labs and clinical labs and other organizations and companies from being able to de- to work to develop tests and re- and vaccines and things like that is just mind-boggling to me the fact the fact that pe- they were not taking it seriously was just so on display with the fact that there was a, a there was an anecdotal incident in Seattle where they noticed that this was starting to become they they suspected this was starting to become a problem and so they had already collected a bunch of samples from people who were willing to do a flu give their samples for a test regarding the seasonal flu and they were not given the okay they were disallowed from using those samples to test for COVID-19 because of a strange, like a very, a hyper-specific ethics concern, red tape sort of regulation, and just the, the logical gap that there has to be, the idea that someone would not want to know would be fine with sharing their, uh, their sample for a flu test, but would be against the idea of sharing it for coronavirus is a mind-boggling situation that I can't I cannot imagine a single person falling into that category 
And so it, it's an unnecessary regulation, and it can be seen that it's unnecessary in the sense that a lot of these organizations are temporarily cutting that red tape and allowing these laboratories to operate without the regulations in the meantime, which suggests if you're willing to get rid of them in a time where it's most important what the ultimate results are going to be and that they be effective, then why are they there in the first place? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree that that we should not be letting uh, bureaucracy get in the way of of progress. Um, You know, it seems like uh, there is some extreme risk aversion by the government when it comes to progress, uh, specifically in regards to health care. And I think at times in you know, certain applications that may be um, reasonable. However, as a more general rule, I I believe in the right to try, you know, whether it's a a vaccine or a treatment or um, a testing protocol, whatever. I I really believe patients should have the power to, um, and and even professionals should have the power to uh, do what they believe is best. Um, and, And, uh, federal regulation should certainly should not get in the way of that. Um, so w- with that being said, I wanted to kind of bring us uh, to another point. And that, that is probably, I guess the point would be, what is the fallout of this coronavirus? We don't know how bad it's going to be. Um, and, and I'll ask you for your opinion on h- how severe you think the the impact will be here in America from a, a um, you know how devastating it will be as far as loss of life, things like that. But also, how is it going to uh, change the dynamics of global trade, global supply chains, global business? Um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of fallout here, um, and so I want to get your thoughts. So, um, first of all, I, I believe we're in agreement that. Uh, the U.S. economy is most certainly uh, headed towards a recession. Uh, is, is that a sentiment you share? I'd say that at, at the very least there will be uh, at least a few month long recession. I'm not sure if it will be quite to the extent that it will be in recession for multiple for a year or even beyond into the end of this year. But I think that the I believe. I think the, I believe they define a, a recession as two uh, quarters of negative economic growth. I would say two that the, I would quarters. say that that would probably because I, I'm certain that it will affect this quarter and then next quarter, and so it most certainly would qualify as a recession at that point. I think that they could be recovered by the start of the fourth quarter. But I'm not. It really depends on the ultimate effect. It's really hard to tell because if this gets, if this is only to the point where only there's only like a million people that catch this, which would still be a serious problem. But if say only a million people in the United States are confirmed to have caught the coronavirus, and then it's all sorted out and generally the the panic dissipates and people go about their lives again at the end of May or the beginning at the beginning of May then that will have serious effects in terms of 
the consumerism will have gone down for six weeks. It'll essentially have disappeared for six weeks, or at least greatly diminished, which is going to greatly impact earnings and everything like that. And the supply, the effect on supply chains and things will be felt sort of a ripple effect. But this is something where once it's recovered, so long as the businesses didn't go out of business, which I think is a great concern for smaller businesses, but as long as they were able to stay in business and keep their doors open, I see no reason why they wouldn't be able to get back to their previous, basically have a quick recovery economically. Yeah, yeah. So, um... You know, I, I really see this playing out. Um, I think there's a spectrum of outcomes. I'm definitely not going to pretend to know what happens, but I really see it playing out a few ways, um, specifically regarding America. So, American healthcare is uh, different than uh, healthcare systems in other countries uh, that have really taken the uh, brunt of the coronavirus thus far, uh, such as Italy, Iran, and uh, China. So so it's difficult to say what exactly is going to happen. But it seems like, um, you know, if you're, you're looking at death toll, I see it playing out. Um, you know, there's one possibility, which... Um, I'm really rooting for, which is uh, deaths on the scale of uh, 10 to 100,000, that, that order of magnitude. That is, that is really a large difference. I really hope it's super low. I know, but it's, it's an order of magnitude. So the other option is, is um, the order of magnitude from um, 100,000 to a million, and then... 1 million to 10 million. Okay. It's probably going to fall within one of those three categories. I think that's probably a pretty safe bet. Um, but it's so dependent on, um, how we initially responded, which it's still too early to say, uh, how effective our, uh, travel restrictions have been. Uh, I think we're in agreement that we have not tested widely enough to really know, um, where we're at in the U.S. right now as far as um, how significant the outbreak is here. Um, I'm, I'm very concerned. Um, but also, it comes down to, can the healthcare system withstand the shock of cases it's likely to receive? Um, in Italy, the, the healthcare system is being overrun. And I don't know enough about Italy's healthcare system to... Um, say how it is different than the American healthcare system, but um, it, it'll be interesting to see if, um, you know, just systematically uh, the American uh, healthcare organizations can handle this shock um, and if we're able to flatten the curve. So if we're able to, uh, you know, get the cases to occur over a long enough period of time that uh, American hospitals do not become overrun. Typically during flu season, American hospitals are operating at near capacity anyways. Uh, so we really want to try to 
expand the timeline. You know, we want to minimize cases over as long a timeline as possible. So we don't want a, a, a spike in that um, in cases where they grow a hundred times in a week or or something like that. You know, you we'd like to uh, flatten the curve, as they say, and and um, make it so that the scale of cases are is easily is easier to handle by uh, our hospital our hospitals and so that's why I kind of see this playing out over a spectrum is you really don't know um, you know how well we handled initially how well our healthcare system's going to uh, be able to to handle it and how well our uh, general uh, response has been from individuals you know um, I do see a lot of people trying to uh, socially distance themselves uh, pretty early on as well in the outbreak for America. So we'll see. Uh, only time will really tell how uh, effective we've been uh, f combating this initial wave of the outbreak in America. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing is, with, that, with any luck, we'll look back on this and say that we were being... Uh, we overreacted because if you overreact or if it is the proper reaction, then there's a chance that it will look like an overreaction in hindsight, because that's, a, yeah, that's yeah, essentially absolutely. all with a pandemic. It's always going to look like an overreaction or an underreaction. And so the good news, the good news is going to be if it stays in that first sort of order of magnitude you mentioned, uh, but I think it's probably going to be closer to the second, just because I'm I'm very concerned about the lack of social distancing that uh, we spoke of earlier in the episode. And from what I've seen, I think that there's big concern for the uh, for the health systems in the areas where that it isn't really the social distancing isn't really taking place. So there's uh, a lot of, especially with this having been St. Patrick's Day weekend, uh, places that have large St. Patrick's Day celebrations or uh, drinking, uh, especially because drinking uh, compromises the immune system or weakens it. Uh, and then also just because, so it looks like Chicago, Boston, New Orleans, then New York, just because of the high population density. Uh, D.C., uh, from this is more anecdotally, I've heard a lot of things about how people have been basically treating it like it's nothing. And then Seattle specifically, just because of the, uh, just because of the nature of how they were the first one to be really hit hard, and so they weren't prepared. They didn't take the steps early enough, and so they're basically a, a sign of what happens if you don't participate in the social distancing and the heavy hand-washing, things like that. Yeah, well, and I think um, one... Uh, I don't have a better word, but one benefit of... Uh, America is there has been a, a month or two where we've been able to observe, you know, the, the behavior of the, the viruses is certainly not well understood, but it's more well understood now than it was a month ago. So uh, perhaps the uh, most at risk uh, portions of the population have been able to effectively 
um, shelter themselves from the virus better than uh, what we saw in places like Italy, China, Seattle. That, that That's really my biggest hope. Because uh, I agree that in many instances, um, especially over this the past few days, uh, social distancing, there, there have been instances where it didn't occur, you know, um, especially I think younger people is the biggest uh, place you've seen it, you know, going to attend St. Patrick's Day parties, things like that. Um, but I believe on large scale, America has probably been a little bit of he- ahead of of others um, in regards to uh, wh- when we started uh, recognizing that we needed to do social distancing uh, in proportion to how far along the the virus was in its spreading within that population. Yeah, we can only hope that we're, we are response looks more like how has the results more like south korea than it did than it does italy is the best way i've i've seen it put um so that pretty much covers everything i think that i had to say about the coronavirus is there anything that you uh would like to add sort of as a tail end of this episode no uh not specifically um you know, we'll we'll see how this evolves. Uh, we may at some point do uh, another another episode specifically on the coronavirus, but um, I hope that that this has helped you make better sense of uh, you know the the entire issue, uh, not just a single piece, because there are so many dynamics uh, when it comes to a global pandemic especially one interacting one one uh, originating in a a uh, region of the world which is more adversarial than than some other parts of the world um, but I really really hope for the best for uh, people all over the world uh, people all over the country um, you know it, it's terrible what how we saw people suffering in China in Italy um, in Iran, and I really am hoping, I'm pulling for uh, humanity here. Um, I think it's really important that we have global cooperation and community cooperation and, and just cooperation on every level. I think that's that's how we're going to get through this, um, by being reasonable, not panicking, but also treating this uh, outbreak with the seriousness that it, it deserves. So um, with that, I, I think, think i've said all i wanted to say i think that's a great point to leave it at uh in terms of the discussion just a programming note this uh obviously because of the nature of it is one that we'll be releasing before a lot of other episodes that we've recorded sort of ahead of schedule that we plan to release uh in sort of a scheduled manner uh so you will be hearing this before you will hear some of the other ones that we had already recorded um Thank you for listening, and hopefully uh, this has been beneficial. Thanks, everybody.